0: Hey there Crosswinds family and friends, welcome to Crosswinds Unleashed. Each week we're dedicated to bringing the best stories and biblical life principles from authentic believers. Our podcast breaks down the Christian life through interviews and practical instruction in what we hope will be a fun and accessible way. I'm Craig Cooper, the host of this podcast and lead pastor of Crosswinds Church. Let me give a special shout out, as I do every week, to Elijah Merrill, our producer, and Sheldon Boyce, our assistant producer, for all the hard work they do to make sure these podcasts come out every single Friday. And I also want to say thank you to you, the listener, for taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to allow us to to share this podcast with you. If you want to know more about this podcast or anything Crosswinds related, head on over to our website at crosswinds.church. Well, I have back in studio with me uh, Betty Ryan, Executive Pastor of Crosswinds Church. Betty, thanks for being back with us.
1: Yeah, thanks, Craig.
0: And I have with us, right, once again, Bridget Heap, who's with Found My uh, Feed My Sheep Foundation. She is a research associate with them, uh, Feed My Sheep Foundation. Bridget, thank you so much for being back in studio.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me again.
0: Well, if you didn't hear last week's podcast, I would suggest you put this one on pause and go back and listen to that one. Last week's podcast would be episode number 89, I believe. Um, but uh, we're going to continue our conversation where we let off left off last week, and I want to start with this question, and that is this, that, that when we started uh, last week, we talked about uh, that many people who sort of have embraced, and I use that word lightly, um, but have embraced sort of this, this uh, gender teaching um, right now that's happening within our public schools, within our culture, that's um, quite different than really what what anyone would have been taught 5, 10, 15 years ago, uh, which is interesting, too. It's an outlier from all of human history, Right. But one of the reasons people would, would embrace this is out of love and concern. Talk to me a bit about how our culture perhaps has hijacked this term love uh, to mean embracing something that that may be destructive. And, and, and maybe um, you had shared about uh, with me about a, a seminar you had done, and, and even a church who was very aggressive, and when you invited them in, they didn't want anything to do with that. Because they were thinking you were unloving for sharing these truths. So, what do we? How do we wrap our mind around this this term "love," especially as God defines it, and what does it really mean to be loving?
2: Yeah. So, I think at the root at the, of of this question here is um, the idea that a person creates their own reality and creates their own truth. Now that's a very postmodern concept or, or way of looking at it, um, at the way way of looking at life. Um, and so, what's happening is, is that we have a large number of people today who think that if you reject my beliefs or you reject my values, you're actually rejecting me. And so, our definition of love in the culture then. It naturally, has to mean then that you're accepting everybody's beliefs, their values, their own perspective of themselves, their own perception of themselves. Because if you don't accept those things, then you're rejecting them. You're unloving. You're you are. Um, so the idea then is that okay, if if we have to be loving, does that mean that we really have to affirm everything? Okay, so that's that's kind of the question. Now, from a Christian perspective, the answer is no. You don't have to affirm everything. Uh, we actually see this in a family unit, right? Like. I'm sure that not all families agree with each other 100% of the time, and yet you have couples who can disagree with each other or maybe they don't approve of, you know something that the other one did or whatever it might be, even with families with parents and kids. Same thing. We don't agree with what you did. That doesn't mean that you don't love that individual. Um, it doesn't mean that that individual isn't important to you or that you don't even value their thoughts and their perspectives. you might, but just because you, disagree with it doesn't mean you're not loving. So I think we have to show culture that you can still love people and disagree with them and I think that we also need to help get people to understand then at least from a Christian perspective what is love you know if you go to the, the passage on love that it's um, it's patient and kind and um, it does not um, promote evil and and if you look at that passage, you know, it doesn't actually define what love is, but it it does give us a roadmap for what love is. And it gives us a roadmap of the way that God sees humanity through Jesus Christ. And that's the expectation then in the way that we treat each other. So God looks at us through. Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and he looks at us with that kind of unconditional love. And so we can look at other people with unconditional love in that way even if we disagree with their choices or even if we disagree with their their preferences or their perspective. So I think part of that is helping parents and the culture to understand that when we're talking about loving kids, we're really coming at it from two different perspectives and to help everybody see how we we can have these conversations, we can love one another even if we disagree.
0: Yeah, and you know, you talked about the the love chapter and just the 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 actions of what we do, what love is and is in us, or the guardrails of, of what love is. Um, and it just reminds me that you know, for instance, you know, I've raised three kids now, I have a couple grandkids, one another one on the way, and you know, there are certain things I know I have to let them learn on their own. There are other things I don't think that it's healthy to do that. It's not loving. In other words, I I didn't let them learn on their own it's not a good idea to run into the street. That, you know, it's no, you don't do that. You know, I didn't let them learn on their own the power of electricity. So I didn't let them have our like our feeding utensils, knives and forks and so forth and just sort of play around with the sockets. I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense. If, if I did, someone would say, well, what's wrong with you? Right. That, or that's the most unloving thing I've ever heard a parent do. But when we start talking about cultural issues, all of a sudden that seems to change sometimes, you know, where if we see something that's harmful and we have a conversation with someone about it, you're right that the, 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 the statement is, well, you just don't love me because you don't accept me for who I am. And it's like, well, no, I do love you. I love you so much that I'm willing to have a difficult conversation. It may not even be easy for me to have, but because I want something better for you. Now, we understand as Christians because that's what the scripture is, right? It's a way of God's communicating with us about who he is and who we are and that relationship we're to have with him. But for those outside of of the church, and and I would say those outside biblical churches who believe in the Bible, um, that's a foreign concept in our culture right now. So it must be difficult as you're having conversations uh, with with individuals who maybe are curious but not yet uh, embracing sort of God's... Ideal, his standard, his 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 scriptures teaching on what it means to be male and female and those things. Um, it must be difficult because I, I that that would be the criticism that I know I get as a pastor, we get as a church, um, and I'm sure you get in feed my feed my sheep foundation right is well you're just not loving your haters. Right. So how, how do you have that conversation with somebody well, like that?
2: I think first of all, I think there's another thing to point out, and that's the idea that our society is in a place right now where if if it seems like part of human nature to do something then it must be okay that it's just it's natural and it's normal and you know who is one person to say that what you want to engage in or what your desires are or who you think you are um, who Who is one person to say to another person, you're wrong? And they're absolutely right that without God, one human being can't dictate that to another person. That would be wrong. That would be unloving. But in a society where we have the Bible and we have the concept of God and that he loves us and, and that he has created us and, and that there's a design to humanity— Then all of a sudden it puts that into perspective. I mean, people are naturally angry. Some people are naturally violent. That doesn't mean that we justify those because, well, okay, that's just who they are. The same thing with addiction. Some people are addicted to alcohol and to drugs and other substances. And yeah, some people have a tendency towards that more than others. That doesn't just mean that we justify it. And I think in our society today, they're trying to justify sexuality and sexual preferences or, or gender identities as just because it's normal or just because we feel it, then it should be normal and it should be okay.
0: But you are saying when we look at the research, people who enter into these things end up in a worse Case than they were before they entered into them, you know, and so that that's that's the the troubling thing for me is is there's times where I'm I'm listening to something that's you know uh, presenting a different view than I have on these things, and I think but you're not sharing the whole story, and and so I I wonder how many people in our culture really that's why I said I, the word embrace I use lightly embrace this, and how many of them just don't know the truth. You know, if it's out there, and that's why I'm. When you came and shared with our our staff, um, I don't know, it was a few months ago, I think. Um, how how uh, how excited I was that that there's an organization who's actually presenting this information, and and you talk about a list, and we'll talk about it again, that that parents and others can go to, but give them some of this information they can look at for themselves and see what the truth really is, because I believe at the core of a parent, they do want to do what's loving, they do want to do what's caring, um, but in the end there's talking about scripture there's a way that seems right to a man but in the end leads to destruction right and so just because we think it's right doesn't mean it is and and so that's where i i want to go a little bit and say so if you're sitting across from a parent you know what would you suggest to them to to, to help them prepare and protect their child from amidst this crisis
2: yeah that's a great question and um To be honest, we have a a parenting conference that we do, and I take half an hour to answer that one question. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'll try to do it here in a couple minutes. So so basically, I think, first of all, for a parent, you need to understand that even though there are um, teachers and doctors that are trying to love kids – that on the flip side of that, there are individuals who are activists who are trying to specifically promote these concepts to kids. They're trying to get kids to buy into the transgender concepts. They're trying to get kids to um, enjoy sexual pleasure. They're trying to help them figure out the rights around that. So there are activists that are trying to do that. And part of what a parent needs to understand is, well, how then do activists target kids? So for example, if we take the gender issue, Activists target kids that are either unpopular, or they have suffered some kind of trauma, or maybe they have depression, or maybe they, um, you know, have a, a mental handicap like autism, and so those kids often don't feel like they're readily accepted all the time. So what activists do is they do something called love bombing, and they'll go in and they'll they'll just love on these kids and just affirm them. And all of a sudden, this kids start to get these concepts that, oh, this is awesome. I've got friends. These people really love me. Um, you know, it's almost kind of like having like my little family at school or wherever this is happening. But quickly, activists will try to isolate that child. They will try to get that child to not go talk to and, confide in parents or siblings or anybody that doesn't affirm this kind of transgender ideology. And, and then activists start to manipulate the kids, and there's um, multiple ways that kids can be manipulated. One example would be, you know, they could tell the kid, well, you know, you were always trans, you just repressed it because your parents didn't agree with you or they didn't affirm you or, you know, you were never really happy with your family. So there's a lot of different ways then that, that kids can get manipulated. So what parents need to recognize is that they can help get their child to a point where if the kid ever is coming into contact with that kind of indoctrination, the child is grounded then in their own identity as an individual and an identity within the family. Now, there are things that we talk about in our parenting conference about how to help your kid have that identity Individually and then within the family. But one of the things that I think, at least for me, is the most important is to help your child recognize who unsafe adults are. So this is a concept that's pretty popular in schools and and it's a good concept. I mean, there are kids who have parents who are abusive and you still, you know, as a school, they're still trying to help those children to know where to go to talk to somebody about difficult situations. So the concept is a good one. The problem is that kids are being told that a safe adult will affirm them, that safe adult will accept their sexual identity, their gender identity. And so what this does is it casts the parent to be a not safe adult, to be a harmful adult then, if they're not willing to accept the child's identity in in whatever it is. And so... A parent needs to be able to help a child really understand what a safe adult is versus an unsafe adult. And I'll just give you a couple of these things. So first of all, no adult should ever be trying to keep a secret with a child like that should be a warning sign to a child okay this adult's trying to talk to me and telling me to keep this secret from my parent that's a big no-no if an adult is ever talking negative about a parent's child or about a child's parents or their family that should be another like big warning sign to the child nope this is an unsafe adult um so there are certain things that you can teach your kids that if they're having conversations with other adults to help your child recognize this isn't really a safe adult for me and and how to go talk to the parents right away uh, about these situations. But I think parents have to help kids to have discernment. Because I I think it's, we live in a society where kids are kind of buffeted back and forth between, you know, like youth group and school and parents and, and, you know, this program or whatever. And so they're used to just having all these adults in their life. And we have to really teach our kids then, okay, how do I really know if this is a safe adult or not? And then how do I have these conversations with my parents about, okay, I've talked, you know, about this issue with this adult, you know, now, now I need to talk to my parent about it.
0: Talk to me a little bit about you, you had, um, as we were preparing for this episode, uh, talking about sort of the uh, illogical um, process of allowing a child to go through, you know, um, gendered hormones, right? And, and share a little bit. I want to give what you said because I want you to say it because you said it better than me. Um, talk a little bit about sort of the illogical process of doing that.
2: Right. So the idea behind that is that. There are books geared towards very young kids that teach that gender's fluid. It's something that can change day to day, year to year. And so even though people have a tendency to say, oh, that's, that's loving, that's what the kid wants, the way that um, activists encourage kids to deal with that confusion or who they feel like they are is to get them on hormones or to get them sex reassignment surgery because the idea is that there, there used to be something called gender identity disorder. It was a mental disorder. It was traditionally in bo- in young boys. Um, and nowadays what we're seeing is something else. We're actually seeing a large number of adolescent girls struggling with their confusion. So... What's happening is that it's no longer considered a mental disorder, it's just considered a dysphoria, which is just a dissatisfaction with life. So the way that people are trying to help kids deal with this then is, okay, we'll we'll get on hormones and you can socially transition to another gender, or you know, you can go get sex reassignment surgery to become a, a male or a female. So the the illogical part behind all of this is that if you're teaching kids right off the bat that your genders fluid and can change day to day, then why would you ever encourage a 12-year-old girl, for example, to get a double mastectomy? Like that's you're you're literally encouraging her to ruin healthy body parts based on a concept that you've taught them can change day to day. So so one of the things that I had heard before is that a stronghold is naturally illogical because a stronghold is what Satan or the enemy puts up against God's design. And so God and the way that he designed humans is logical. It is loving. Um, And so what we are seeing then is the reason why this gender identity um, issue is so confusing is because it's illogical. It's a stronghold. It's it's something that Satan has thrown up in the face of what God's design is for humanity. And so there are a lot of kids that are getting hurt and damaged in the crossfire of this because they're being encouraged to do something that just doesn't make sense. Even according to that own ideology, it wouldn't make sense to do these things.
0: And when you talk about uh, the fluidity, you know, gender fluidity, you um, so you're saying, you know, to a young girl, we'll talk of a young girl. Well, we don't want to trap them by saying they're a young girl, right? So if they identify then as male and they have these surgeries done, the way back isn't any simpler than the way to. In other words, if you're going from a, a young female to a young male because you're, you're, you are removing breast and so forth... Switching that around and saying, "Okay, well, no, 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 I am a female." Once you decide to to that you're no no longer male, that that's not easy. That's not even really totally possible either, right? I mean, the, you,
2: essentially, there is no way back, right? And that's one of the things that um, that I think is a, a lie that's told to kids is that, oh, okay, you know, you start hormones and the hormones are reversible. Um, you know, you you get this. You know, sex reassignment surgery. Well, you can have the parts put back. Well, you can have parts put back, but that doesn't mean that they work and that they function. Uh, and the problem with the hormones is that you're essentially slowing down a child's um, reproductive development. And those hormones that they would naturally be developing are needed for their bones and their brains and just their overall physical development. It's it's not just a matter of, oh, okay, identify as a male, you know, and so I don't need, you know, women genitalia or anything like that. It, it really affects the child's overall body and physical development. So yeah, ha- having surgeries and things like this is, it, there's no way back once they start on these, on whether it's the hormones or the surgeries.
0: Let me ask you this as a researcher. So here's a child that that feels and, and whichever, right? And maybe it's a young man who feels like maybe he's a female or a young female who thinks he's male. And, and we had talked in the last episode, you know, when you talk about gender fluidity, there, there's those who teach that there's many more genders than what we're discussing here, right? Um, but just to keep it simple in that situation, what's the research tell us that if a person comes through their adolescent years with this confusion what happens in the like when they hit their twenties or whatever? If you leave them to be able to sort of work through these issues on their own, what typically will happen when they're when they're in their twenties?
2: So um, it's not necessarily so much in their twenties. I guess okay. let me explain this a little bit. So first of all, what they're finding is that. Kids are very, very excited about the possibility of hormones or getting sex reassignment surgery. But if you listen to the stories of um, individuals who are called detransitioners, so they've transitioned and now they're detransitioning, they're, they're trying to go back. What you hear from them is the is the the truth that. I went all the way. I did everything that I could do that this world could offer me to satisfy my my feelings or my confusion and it wasn't enough. I was still confused, I was still hurting, I still didn't feel right. So what ends up happening is is usually there's there's the end of the line there and then that's when kids or at this point they could be in their 20s or whatever age that might be, they start to wake up and they realize, okay, that was not the solution, and now I'm worse off than I am, than I was before because now I'm regularly on medication. I am dealing with whatever side effects of surgeries. So part of what they – it was one study I was reading that actually said that if you talk to people like within three to five years after – Whatever it is getting on hormones or having sex reassignment surgeries, you actually find a fairly high um, uh, joy rate. Like that, they're like, "Oh, I'm, I'm happy with what I decided to do," but the further out from that you go, ten, fifteen years after that. You're f- they're finding that there's a significant portion of those individuals who are saying, Nope, I'm still just as confused. I'm still just as broken. This, this didn't help. And so there is definitely that that rise of, This is exciting, but in the end, it leaves them with just. And that's what heartbreak. you're saying
0: it's not just a 20s thing, because if you have this done in your, in your 20s, 20s,
2: right, it might not be till another 10, 15 right. years no, before you're sense. realizing that, yeah.
0: Wow. So, so you've spoken to parents. Talk to the church, and of course, we understand the church isn't a building; it's the people, right? Um, and so, talk about faith communities, uh, churches. What what can they do to help families, to help children, to help people um, who are who are wrestling with this? From from those who are wrestling with their identity because of maybe what they've been exposed to or whatever, to to those who are just trying to speak the truth into and, and a family member's life.
2: So. I want to say that one of the things that was a reoccurring theme in my research that I found is when you, um, oftentimes a detransitioner would explain how how they switched, like kind of how did they wake up and realize that, you know, what they were trying to do wasn't satisfying. A lot of times it came down to a Christian, whether it was a pastor or uh, some kind of minister or ministry leader or a neighbor or something like that who showed that person love, but they did not affirm that person in the choices. Instead, they said, you know, I I know you're struggling with this. I will be here to walk with you through this. And that made all of the difference. And so I think if the church can do that, if the church can help people by letting them know we love you, and, you know, maybe you struggle with your gender, or maybe you struggle with something with sexuality, whatever it is that, that people are struggling with, that they're there for them, that they love them, and that they will walk through them with this. And, and that's, not, that's not easy. I mean, these things are messy. These things are uncomfortable to talk about and uncomfortable to have conversations with people about. But to show an openness that we're willing to talk about these issues, I think is so crucial and then to be able to show people that we love them. I mean, I I had heard this once that a Christian is um a Christian essentially is is no different than than an unbeliever except for the fact that the Christian is willing to admit that they uh, need help, yes, right? Yeah, that that's good. They're the ones that are willing to say, "Okay, yes. I'm broken, I'm messed up. Christ, I yeah. I need you." You know, and so Coming alongside somebody else, really we've got no different story. Maybe we struggle with something different, but but really we're no different. We're all humans and we all need God. Um, and so to be able to come alongside people and help them to realize that I think will— will help people to, to realize that when we're talking about these issues, it's not coming from a judgmental perspective. It's coming from a perspective of, I love you, and you might be in the middle of this and struggling with this. I want to help give you another perspective so that you don't make a decision that you're going to regret the rest of your life.
0: It, it's, I'm glad you, you, um, you worded it that way because, really, that's the Christian life, right? I mean, the reason— we're, we we uh, says don't forsake the assembly of one another it's because we need one another. But we journey with each other. You know, I like to describe the church. I don't know if I like it, but it's one of my favorite uh, ways to describe the church. Is a sacred mess. It, it's messy because we're part of it, and sacred because God is. And you're saying, well, we're all messy. That's what I'm hearing you say, right? But the difference is, those of us who have come to Christ admit we're messy and we need His help. And, and as, as a church, that's what we're here to do for one another, no matter, what, no matter what our messiness is. And we all have some mess that we're working through that we're giving over to the Lord and, and need the help of His people uh, to love on us and speak truth and, and care for us, not just on gender issues, but all issues of life. You know, God created us to be in relationship with Him and one another. And so what I'm hearing you say, the best thing the church can do is be the church that God intended us to be. Uh, And unashamedly so, you know, to to stand on God's truth in love and and walk alongside those who know him and to do with those who don't know him, you know, to be open for those conversations and to be there for them.
2: Yeah, I think one other thing I would just mention, too, is that I think that the church needs to to continue to learn and pray over these issues, because, for example— one of the things that we talked about in the parenting conference is the idea that, you know, maybe you have an individual who is struggling with a particular sexual behavior. And oftentimes I think the Christian response is, well, it's a list of do's and don'ts, right? You either can or you can't do these things. And that's not really a New Testament way of looking at things. God wants us to to walk in love with people, and he wants us to make decisions out of love. And so part of what we have to understand is that maybe there's something else at the root of these issues and why people are struggling, a place where they actually need healing first. And so instead of trying to just fix behavior or just get people to stop struggling with their gender confusion or whatever it might be, there might actually be some kind of healing that they need time for God to just work in their life and get to a place of healing before they can address kind of the outward issues of things. And so I think the church needs to Needs to understand, you know, for example, gender confusion can actually come from a number of different sources, whether it is a mental issue, whether it was from trauma, whether it's from social exposure. um, exposure. And so the idea of then, okay, we need to walk with people on a one-on-one basis and see where they're at and see if if there is something that they need healing with. I think that will help just the conversation be more focused on love and edifying people rather than tearing them down or making them feel like okay, you just hate me because you disagree with my perspective.
0: Betty, you, you um, are one of the leaders of Celebrate Recovery, and that sounds so much like anything I've ever talked to somebody who's going through the 12-step program or part of Celebrate Recovery as far as coming to a place of healing uh, before we try to do behavior modification, right? And
1: Yeah, I think what I heard you say, which was just really interesting to me, is you said some people, once they have – um Begun the process of making a change, you know a physical change in their life or, or started home hormones or something like that. there can be a three to five year period where they're they they're ha- they think they're happy right because it's it's short-lived unfortunately but because there was a route that was never addressed it sounds like. And so even through that time there could be that three to five years where Sure, they've got these people gathered around them. They've got these doctors who are caring for them. They've got these professionals around them, and their family is all about it. But there comes a time when now people begin to focus on other things, and it's no longer focused on that particular individual and what's going on. And so they lose some of that support, which I would think would spiral anyone. But when you can find the truth in the beginning of the root of of whatever is going on and, and surround that with that love – it makes all the difference, you know, so it just I'm, as I pull together some of the things that you're saying, I'm just um, learning so much, you know, but pulling it all together, it all just comes to, to some of that and makes so much sense when you can care for people and help, help them, like you said, walk alongside them as they determine what it is that brought, brought this out. It doesn't mean that you have to make a, an outward change when it's an inward thing that's happening.
2: Yeah, so one example, I think, um, as you're talking, I was thinking about this. Um, Linda Seiler, she is a woman who had struggled with gender confusion, and she's got a ministry today that that deals with this. But one of the things that she had talked about was at the root of our relational issues, it's actually um, oftentimes stemming from our relationships with our parents. So, for example, a woman or girl who does not relate or have a good relationship with her father is then often throwing herself at men so that she can have a relationship with with a male figure. Whereas on the other hand, a girl that doesn't connect with her mom often throws herself at women because she's trying to connect with the female figure. And then that could have a tendency towards a homosexual relationship. And so, yeah, oftentimes we, I don't think we we just kind of look at the outward appearance or the behaviors and we don't stop to really think at wow what's what's really driving that person what's what's really motivating them what what scars need to be healed and and talked about and addressed and then if you can get to that then sometimes those other issues okay they start to fall into place cuz you're really focusing then on the root of what's going on
1: in the last episode just one more question in the last episode you talked about children you know at a very young age going through these books and spinning a wheel to determine where they're at. And I think these children are at a place where they need safety and love in their life. And instead of getting some of that safety and love, it's starting too young, you know, and, and they just don't know where to turn. So again, it starts with that root of love and, and caring for the child and helping them through their questions rather than giving them an answer that makes no, um, no sense. It, it's, it's answering a question that wasn't even asked.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I I think, sadly, what's happening is our children are being encouraged to open up and talk about these issues and have conversations with their peers. They're encouraged to have these conversations with adults. And what that does is that actually opens up children to be more likely to be sexually abused because now what would have once been considered sexual abuse or inappropriate for you to show things to minors is now being normalized and so these kids are being affected in real ways and it it, it is affecting them in their perception of sexuality in that sense of okay what's really safe and who's safe and, and am I really being loved and how do I get love you know they're they're really confusing these concepts with children.
0: You know, I the good news in all this is it's not going unnoticed by the Lord, mm. and He is present, and He's only a uh, uh, an ask away from being involved in these issues. Whether you're a parent, a grandparent, whether you're dealing with these issues, um, you're not alone, right? God God is present, and we as a church, as I heard you share really what our responsibility is, it's to be the church, the hands and feet of Christ, and to, and to be there when people are having these questions, and, and to support not them in, in making wrong decisions, but to support them in the reality of saying, I'm here to, to listen, I'm here to walk with you. And certainly, um, if they allow you to pray for them, great, but if not, you can still pray. <laughs> you can still lift them up to the Lord and be and be present and, and let them know that uh, the church should be a safe place for people to have these questions and work through these things. And uh, Although sometimes I, I feel like we're tempted if it makes us uncomfortable, to sort of walk away from it, um, I'm thankful that the things that I've done that have made God uncomfortable, he hasn't walked away from me. Absolutely. And so as a father of Christ, I want to be able to, to follow the Lord's example. And those things that make me uncomfortable, I want to be able to be still present in. and and help people uh, find the truth and love that truly comes from the Lord. And so, Bridget, thank you so much. I could talk to you forever, and yet um, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I'm holding in my hand a book you mentioned uh, in the last episode, The Sexual Holocaust, the Holocaust that you co-authored. How can someone get their hands on this book? Because I'm not giving up my copy because I'm still still looking through it.
2: So actually on our website, uh, fmsfound.org, you can download that book as a free PDF, or wow. you can order it. So
0: Wow, that's great. And also on that website, and say, say the website again?
2: Yes, yeah, same website, um, fmsfound.org.
0: You said uh, there's a list that you can go and find uh, organizations and information just to help people um, listen to sort of the facts that are out there and ways to help one another. And that's on that website as well, right? Yes. Honest. Bridget Heap, thank you so much for being with us. Again, Bridget Heap is with Feed My Sheep Foundation. She's a research associate there. And uh, thank you for being so gracious with your time with us today.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having this conversation. I, I think it's important, and I'm glad you guys are, are talking about it.
0: And Betty Ryan, thank you so much for being here with us and for being in studio.
1: Absolutely learned a lot today. Thank you.
0: <laughs> As always, um, if we can help you in any way, if if maybe you d- you missed Um, uh, some of the information and and you need to know, okay, now where do I connect? Where do I find this? All you have to do is reach out to us at crosswinds.church and let us know what your question is. And we'd be more than happy to direct you to Feed My Sheep Foundation and and wherever else will be helpful for you. We're here for you as well. Again, that's at crosswinds.church. As always, uh, be blessed and, and bless others.